Well, hello, everyone. Very excited to welcome you back to another great conversation lined up today in our latest episode of the Zone Meets podcast. A few weeks ago, I was back in London at the Sports Pro live event at the Kia Oval. And the team at Sports Pro gave me and Mark Watson, the Zone Chief Commercial Officer, a platform for, for a fireside chat. It was the first time we've had a chance since DAZN acquired 11 Sports, the business that Mark was running, and Team Whistle, uh, to sit down and speak about Mark's career story, his early days in law, and then his transition into the world of broadcast rights and sport. We covered a lot. We talked about the state of the sports media industry. Mark gave us his take on the current challenges facing the industry. We got the inside track on Mark's journey with Eleven, the origins of that venture with Andrea Redwood-Ziani, all the way through to the sale to the zone. It was really cool to hear what attracted him to his new role with us. And it was a great opportunity for us to have a casual chat uh, with our friends at Sports Pro. So I hope you find it interesting and look forward to speaking to you all soon. Okay, well, good morning, Sports Pro. Good to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, I'm Joe Markowski um, of DAZN Group. I'm delighted to be joined uh, for a conversation this morning with my colleague and, dare I say, my, my friend, uh, Mark Watson, uh, Chief Commercial Officer uh, at DAZN Group 2. Uh, we're doing this as part of um, a new podcast series that we've launched at DAZN called DAZN Meets, where we're taking the opportunity we have um, with our role at the centre of sport and media and technology uh, to, to have conversations with interesting people from around uh, those industries. Uh, we've done three or four episodes. This is a, our first attempt at a live uh, DAZN meet, so wish us luck. Mark, good to be with you this morning. Good to see you. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, who knew that following Wrexham would be such a tough yeah, gig? Yeah, tough, but, tough uh, gig. No, no, Hollywood, no Hollywood A-listers today, and actually uh, we'll have to apologise for uh, Andrea's absence, the originally sort of planned conversation with Andrea. Um, there's no sort of um, downgrade in our replacement. We're talking to Mark this morning. Mark, it's, it, we'll start by just introducing you and getting a bit of background on you. Obviously, I've got to know you a bit over the last sort of six or seven months as you've come into the, the zone group business. Um, you started your career training as a barrister, which obviously set you up well for some of the negotiations you now lead for the zone group in the rights space. But starting in law, then pivoting into sport, give us a bit of background on your, on your career story. Yes, happily uh, happily, happy to do that. So I started actually as a criminal barrister. In fact, about 20 years ago, you might have found me just down the road at uh, Camberwell Green Magistrates Court. Uh, a day at the Oval would often lead to a very busy day at Camberwell Green Magistrates Court the next morning. Um, a good morning for me. So uh, uh, as a junior barrister representing people that uh, got a bit of carried, maybe got a bit carried away at, a, at the sports event here. Um, I don't know how today's going to go, but uh, I am available tomorrow morning if any of you, if any of you need me. Um, and, I mean, yeah, training as a, as a lawyer is a great foundation for a career in sport. Um, uh, the criminal stuff, you meet a lot of colourful characters, just as you do in sport, but um, actually what it really taught me, a couple of things. Um, as a criminal barrister, you would, especially as a junior, you would have no idea what you're going to do during the day. Um, you would turn up at Chambers, the office, at about 9 o'clock. You'd be given a brief, and you'd be told, you're at Camberwell in an hour, you're on your feet. So you'd, t you'd jump on the tube with your papers, you'd be reading your brief. Uh, uh, in my case, I'd be stopping off around the corner to be sick, usually, uh, through nerves. I wasn't sick today, so I'm obviously uh, developing a bit. Uh, and then you'd be on your feet. And what that really taught you, if you wanted to be successful at that, you needed to, needed to get to the absolute essence of the case very, very quickly, you know, shut out, eliminate all the noise and the superfluous stuff, 
get to what was really important. And that's a very, very useful life skill. It's been life useful in, uh, in the sports industry for sure. And then secondly, you know, being, being at the bar, being a criminal barrister and being up on your feet in court, it's about performance and it's about moments. If you want to be successful, you've got to take those moments to, to win a case. And, you know, again, very useful training for what's happened to me since. I would never have thought that I would end up here uh, as part of the sports industry. So, so barrister into the agency world. Yes. The rights world. Yes. And then eventually to BT Sport, where you spent a good portion of your career. Yeah, I was a partner at Real Enterprises, which uh, represented the media rights for the Premier League, um, uh, the English Premier League here and, 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 and overseas. Actually, during that period in the noughties, in the, in the early 2000s, where the sale of media rights was really in a, being, being innovated. Everything was being sliced and diced in that Hollywood studio way. Uh, and as a result of that, um, and increased televisation, uh, um, broadcasting, the values were, were really starting to, to rise. So I, so I did that for uh, a few years, Premier League. We represented the NFL, the Scottish Premier League, the Football League, many others, actually. Uh, and then from there went to, to British Telecom. Okay, and you're, so you're pretty well placed in the UK and also internationally to talk about the state of the industry. And we're probably now five or six years into the disruption that OTT broadcasting has brought to sports media at a major rights level, five or six years since DAZN launched in various international markets and other players got going too. As you sort of reflect on that, as you enter the DAZN business and you look across the sports media, sports broadcasting industry, what are your sort of reflections on where it is and the state of it and the challenges it faces? What's your view on, on all of that? Well, look, I think, you know, stepping back a bit, I think if you look at music, the music industry has been transformed by the internet, by, by digitalization. Um, so, so is, um, so is socializing. So actually is entertainment. Sport is still at the beginning of that journey. It hasn't really been transformed. I mean, for most people, the experience of watching sport is still switching on the television and, uh, and watching a live game. Um, and of course, that's the heart of, of sport. That's you know a lot of what it's all about. But as, maybe as a result of that, sport hasn't yet undergone. I think that massive transformation that um, the, the digital world allows and the opportunities that it that it that it brings. But I think we are right now at the beginning of a genuine revolution in sport, where we can genuinely uh, transform and innovate the customer experience. Uh, around consuming sport um, from home or from wherever you are. Uh, and that's, you know, obviously that's what we're trying to do at DAZN, which we'll come on and talk about a bit, I'm sure. Absolutely. And when you, when you think about what that looks like uh, in terms of the, the merging of, of different um, elements of fandom in and around the broadcast, you're right to say most people still, even if they're watching on an OTT platform, lean back and watch a feed that might as well be delivered on a linear broadcast platform as you look at different experiences in and around the, the broadcast and the content, what do you think that looks like? How do you think you execute in that space? Well, look, I think in, in stage one of, um, of the, um, the evolution of sport, the revolution of sport, whatever you want to call it, um, what, what you're seeing now is, is a great deal of fragmentation of, 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 of the product and of the experience. Um, in me and, and this changes from market to market around the world. Obviously, we're in the UK, we tend to be focused here, but, but it's happening everywhere. Um, the sports experience is pretty fragmented. Nobody yet has really found a way of bringing it together into a single, seamless, frictionless experience for the fan. Um, and I think, to some extent, uh, because live sports is so powerful, 
I mean, I remember at, at BT, what, you know, why did we get into live sport? It was because it's because it helped us to sell broadband and, and, and telephone packages uh, for sure. But what, you know, when, when we launched sport um, as part of BT, I, we really saw the magic of sport. We saw that in the session just, just we just had on on Wrexham. What what sport can do for not just a team, but a whole for a whole for a whole community. But we also saw the power of sport, the power of of live sport particularly to to drive consumer behaviour, to make consumers do something. In that case, it was to switch broadband platforms and. Most of you might have tried this once, maybe. You don't typically try it twice because it's really not very convenient and easy to do. But sport is one of the very, very few things that can get people to change from, from one uh, platform to another. And because of that, um, broadcasters, streaming companies, I think, have tended just to rely on, the, on, on live distribution. Live remains incredibly important. It, 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 that, will, that, that, that isn't going to change. But consumers actually, I think, today want much more. They want to socialise. They want news. They want entertainment. A lot of the things that Wrexham were talking about, actually, there's a that is a fantastic case study in how to create media value. They also want to play games. Um, they want to bet. Uh, they want to buy stuff. They want to arrange travel. There's an, there's, there's an opportunity. Sport, live sport gives you the opportunity to, opportunity to engage a consumer like nothing else. But actually, to make the economics work of it, and to make, you've got to make it really work for the consumer. You've got their attention. Now you've really got to leverage that. And at the zone, at 11 before, before this, uh, we started 11 also in 2015. We recently sold it to the zone. Uh, that's why I'm sitting here with Joe today. That's really what we believe is the opportunity, is taking all of those different aspects and bringing them together into one fantastic, integrated, seamless customer experience. Um, and we think if we do that, then we can, at DAZN, build one of the biggest entertainment businesses in the world. So. Agreed. That's obviously how we can attack and build our business. We talk a lot internally about piracy and defending against piracy. And the challenge that brings, I'm sure, to a lot of people in this room that I actually don't think gets talked about enough at sessions like this, given the scale of challenge it represents. It doesn't. It's a nightmare. I mean, you know, from a commercial point of view, it's an absolute, it's an absolute nightmare. And, you know, part of the problem is, is, one of our, is, is I think, one of our own making. So there's a, there's a model that's developed in the sports industry where broadcasters buy rights. They, they pay a fee to the, to the rights owner. Um, and, and piracy isn't really part of that, disc that, that conversation at all. Broadcasters it, traditionally have been effectively subsidising uh, the, the cost of, of piracy, especially in markets and for sports properties where rights values, values are growing. Um, and in, but in the background, the piracy problem has just got bigger and bigger. And it's exacerbated by things like content not being available. So if you go back 10, 12 years, Warner Music, which is, also, which is owned by the same company that owns or controls DAZN, um, was one of the founders of Spotify. The music industry was really on its knees from piracy. Um, it, was, it, it was in a very gloomy place indeed. How did they get out of that? Actually, it was, it, it, it was it's pretty simple looking back. They created a fantastic product that was everywhere with all of the content. Uh, and it was a much better experience to consume it via Spotify and those other streaming services than it was to steal it, steal it via a pirate site. Um, so part of, I think, um, that hasn't happened properly yet. In, in sport, and things like the 3 p.m. window here in the UK, which was discussed, I think, in the previous session, the fact that Wrexham games aren't always on television. There was a recent Arsenal game, really important one, just wasn't on TV. Um, now, I didn't watch it, my son did. He, he streamed it from somewhere overseas, he told me afterwards, and you know, the, the reality is an awful lot of people were doing that. You know, the, so you've got to make 
the product available, and you've got to make that product absolutely fantastic. The cost of piracy is huge. Estimates range somewhere between 15 and maybe as high as 50%, maybe even higher of media value around sport is being leaked to mainly now criminal groups, actually, who are controlling piracy. They are criminal groups. Um, in Italy, where Dazone has got a very big business, we're the main broadcaster in Italy. We've got all of, uh, all of Syria there. They've recently started to take some action on piracy. And, uh, and the only thing that's really effective, the two things, make it, ha have a fantastic product, that's the first thing. And then secondly, government and police take action. And police have been raiding criminal groups who have been distributing pirate cards, set-top boxes to people, and they've been finding literally lorry loads of uh, lorry loads of cash, more money than they find when they raid drug dealers. It's unbelievable. Um, and as a result of that, on the streaming side, when there's been a major raid and piracy has been disrupted, we see an uptick, an immediate uptick in in, in subscriptions. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a, I won't I, I could talk all day about piracy because I'm quite passionate about it. It's something that we don't talk about enough. It we really need to address it if we want. Um, not to save the sports industry, but to, to build it. I agree. I agree. You mentioned Eleven there, your more, most recent sort of career venture prior to the zone. Tell us about the journey you had with Eleven. You, you mentioned you started in 2015. What was the motivation behind that? You and Andrea set out at a similar time to the foundation of the zone. Yeah. What was the motivation for that, and how was the experience? So I was just coming out of BT, where we where we launched BT Sport here, um, and. Uh, I knew Andrea very well. We were, we were good friends. We wanted to do some business together, so that was, that was part of it. He, he uh, was just stepping away from his agency, MP and Silver. Uh, I was stepping out of BT. And the, the, what we thought was that uh, we weren't really thinking about markets like the UK, which is very competitive, very hot sports rights market. But we thought looking around the world, there were a lot of places where the product hadn't been innovated at all. It was a very archaic product. I mean, think kind of 1990s, the big match on ITV, for those of you old enough to, to remember it. It was a very old sports product, hadn't been innovated at all in places, I won't name the, the, the countries particularly, but, but uh, places in Europe, places in Asia. And we thought there was a great opportunity to create a better product. Um, and what we also thought, what I thought coming out of, of BT was that there was a great opportunity to create a product that, um, that was distributed, that sat in the middle of the market and was distributed everywhere, partnering with telcos, with, with cable companies, with platforms. Um, to make live sport available, to help them drive their core business, um, but to really innovate the the, the, um, the the sport, the core sports product. So that's what we set out to do. We bought some rights in Poland and Belgium, um, and a couple of places in in Asia. We bought them, I think, in in April, and uh, by July we were we were up and running. It was a pretty hairy three months, but <laughs> um, yeah, that's what happened. And fast forward a few years to to the back end of last year, the start of this year. Obviously, the sale of Eleven to the Zone. Yeah. What attracted you to to the Zone? We talked about the state of the industry, a bit of consolidation, perhaps. But as you look to to exit from the Eleven and, and move forward with the with the new venture, what, what did you what attracted you to the Zone? Why did you choose us as the as the landing ground? Uh, I mean, in, in terms of of the Eleven experience, like I said, we started broadcasting live rights and doing it in a pretty traditional way. What we then wanted to do was develop a re that really integrated, advanced customer experience. We bought a couple of businesses to help us do that. A streaming platform called that was called MyCujo, which um, specialises in uh, offering football to communities around the world, underserved communities of sports fans. We we bought that and integrated it. And then we bought a digital content business called Team Whistle in America which um, doesn't do live sports, but produces digital programming around sport, lots of short form content that goes out on TikTok, YouTube, Snap, all of those social media platforms. So we, so we built a, a, uh, an integrated sports business. 
Um, it, was getting bit, it was getting to a reasonable size, turning over about $300 million a year and active across a lot of markets. But it was, it was pretty clear to us that we needed to, to find a partner to move to the next stage, to, to, do, something, to do what we really wanted to do, which was something genuinely global. Um, and so we started talking to, to DAZN, and, and what was very quickly apparent was that DAZN was a, a much bigger version of Eleven. It's about 10 times bigger in terms of revenue and uh, footprint and audience. But it really shared our ambition, um, our ambition of uh, creating the number one sports destination platform in the world. Um, and to do that, you need some scale, you need backing, you need the management team, you need vision, all of, all of those things. But, you know, there's, obviously, people will have read the amount it's, uh, that has been invested in DAZN. That's usually the story here in, uh, here in the UK. Um, I, I actually think if, if DAZN was an American company, the, the, the focus would be on what DAZN has built, not what DAZN has spent but it you know this the truth is this stuff isn't trivial is it is it, it 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 costs money it takes investment to build a global internet-based entertainment company which is what we are what we're trying to do so uh design had the scale and the vision and the backing and the team and that's really why we took the sweat blood and tears that we put into building 11 and transferred it into the design business yeah and we appreciate it one of the maybe lesser known elements of that of that transaction was the the inclusion of team whistle the social content business that came as part of the 11 group. Really interesting business, one that I think doesn't get the, the conversation it probably deserves as a success story. Tell us about Team Whistle and the Team yeah. Whistle business. Well, Team Whistle uh, answers a really another key issue that, that, that sports has, which is how you engage a younger audience. And this is not true of all sports, but many of the, of the big sports around the world are struggling to engage in a meaningful way younger younger audiences. Of course, there are lots of exceptions to that. I've got a 12-year-old boy who's crazy about sport and would watch, would watch live football all day long, but if we let him. Um, but um, the, the general experience of younger people is, a very, is, again, a very fragmented one across, across a lot of media. They're not sitting and watching two hours of live football, necessarily, uh, and they're also not paying 40, 50, 60 pounds or dollars a, a month to access premium pay TV services. Team Whistle... Uh, is, is a business devoted to engaging that audience and has been very successful in doing so. It has about seven or 800 million users a month. It's generating about five, six billion views on social media. Uh, and the idea is that people are interested in more than just watching live sport. They want to know what athletes are doing on the day off. They want to know how they prepare. They want to know about their families. Um, they want that deeper insight that social media really brings. And it's been, it's been success, a, a very successful business at doing that. And we want to now grow it and apply it apply it globally. Actually, DAZN has got a business, another business, which is relevant to it, uh, which Joe runs, actually, um, which is uh, the X-Series, which is a, a fighting, a boxing business aimed at younger audiences. You should probably talk about it rather than me, but these two things go together very well. Yeah, we've, we've learned with the X-Series, obviously, um, celebrity boxing, Jake Paul, Logan Paul, KSI has boomed in the last few years. Uh, as a business with a major investment in traditional boxing, we've invested heavily in crossover boxing too, as we call it, celebrity fighting, and seen great success with it. Mark's right. The audience that watch that content, uh, who want to watch KSI fight Joe Fournier, for example, in a couple of weeks, or Logan Paul fighting against KSI a few years ago, they care a lot more about the, the, the content around the story, not just the live broadcast, the build-up, the, the gossip, the, the drama behind the scenes, the training. And I think the integration of a business like Whistle, who are expert at that kind of content, um, with, the, with the core product, the, the live broadcast and the, the pay-per-view in this case, um, the marriage of those two things is super powerful and they're really important as we integrate Eleven to the design Group business, uh, that those two things um, 
work together in harmony. So that's a challenge for us that we're stepping through and starting to have some early success with. Um, that's an exciting part of our business. It's a it good is. segue into it my is. Sort of final question to you before we open the floor to questions, which is, as you embed yourself, you're now officially a member of the DAZN leadership team. What excites you about the business as you look globally, the growth opportunities, the growth in our existing markets? Obviously, the UK is one we've got an eye on. That's been well reported. But as you look at the group more, more broadly, what are the two or three things that excite you about DAZN as we stand here today? Look, I mean, that KSI event that you talked about is a really, is, is a really good example, I think, of where, of where the excitement lies. So if you want to get a good picture of the future of sport, come to Wembley Arena on May the, on May the 12th uh, and watch this event. It's something that normal sports fans wouldn't normally consider. It's amazing. It's absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it's a great event. It'll be packed to the rafters full of 17 to 25-year-olds. And it's actually a great sports event too. So you'll see some great fights if you... Uh, uh, if you're into, into boxing. But the opportunity there is, is to hold the event, is to engage that audience, is to come to... What we want to do at DAZN is run the event, obviously sell, stream it around the world and get people to, to pay. It's a pay-per-view event, that one, so we'll get people to pay, and they will pay in large numbers. We'll get a very big six-figure um, uh, volume of customers coming in and, and pay-per-viewing in that event. Um, you know, as you would in the past, a, a very big HA kind of boxing event. But what we also want to do is sell the tickets, sell the merchandise, the T-shirts, do all of the social media around it. And what you get there is that integrated experience around sport, which I think has been lacking in the past, and which we really believe is the future of sport. So that's one uh, one example here in London in a couple of weeks' time. But um, but actually, that's what we want to do globally everywhere. So DAZN is currently is it broadcasting in 200 markets around the world. We are big in 12 markets. The opportunity for growth, I think, is, is, is really huge for others, but, but also for us. And it's bringing that really integrated, innovated, um, 21st century experience to the world of sport. That's what excites me. Great, it was very exciting. and look forward to doing that with you. I do want to open the, the floor to questions. I think questions have been coming in on Slido. I think I'm pronouncing that right. So hopefully the questions will start appearing on my screen. Uh, I can't see them on my screen. I might have to turn around here. Uh, a question from um, an anonymous question here. From a client perspective, won't a global centralized platform drive up prices for the consumer? What are your thoughts on that, Mark? Um, no, I don't think so. No. Um, there's always going to be competition in sport. Um, I actually happen to think sports is undervalued when it comes to retail pricing. So, you know, you're, where, where it's distributed by telcos and, and, and some other companies, they will often underprice sport in order to... But it's not that consumers are paying less, they're just overpaying for broadband. I mean, there's a lot of our markets where broadband companies are, are, are using sport to charge tons of money for broadband, not charging enough for, for sport. And that needs to be rebalanced, actually. Uh, as a sports industry, we need to see that the rebalanced. You, if you go to a telecoms conference, you'll, you'll get a different view, I'm sure. But there's a, real, there's a real opportunity for that. I think, so you've got to get, obviously pricing is incredibly important, but uh, it'll be driven in, in the end by consumers' willingness to pay. And I, no, I think, I think actually the economies of scale probably benefit, yeah. benefit consumers. They don't hurt them. In terms of um, rights in the UK, something that you're very close to, and we, we, we talked about a lot, how close did DAZN come to, to buying the EFL rights? Uh, you'd have to ask the EFL <laughs> that. Um, we, uh, we, we think we put a fantastic, innovative, really radical proposal in front of them. 
I, I, honestly, my personal view is it's bananas that there's a, there's a big match on a, or even a small match on a Saturday afternoon which has a, a fan base that want to see it and they can't, and they can't watch it. Um, and that, you know, 90, over 90% of games in the division that Wrexham are about to go into are not televised. I mean, this is, you know, I, I just think it's archaic. So we put forward a very radical proposal to change that, and we thought not only is that going to drive the value of your media rights, it'll, it'll drive your ability to engage with consumers, you'll get more money from sponsors, you'll be able to do much, much more to commercialise your, your business. But it looks like this time around that proposal isn't going to work, and, you know, so, OK, we're, we take a long-term view and we're patient, we'll come back and maybe they'll be ready for us next time. And we'll move on and look at the next opportunity here in the UK. And when you, in a related question, looking at the digitization, the move to streaming that most sport is considering or has already done, how do you think that affects the, the community and identity around sport and the, the, the attendance of live events? If done right, I assume you, you share my view that it can be additive and, and engage a, a, a next generation of fans, which as you mentioned yeah. is a major challenge. But as you look at streaming, you think that's got a major role to play in Massively. growing the audience? If you want to engage young people, you've got to be part of their lives. If you want to be part of their lives, you've got to be part of the stories they're looking at and the social media and the, and, and the media that they are engaged in. And, um, you know, part of that is, is absolutely being across all digital platforms and making your product and your brand available. And if you do that, more people will be interested in your story and more people will come to the ground to watch your game. Because the truth is, no matter how fast and, and well we innovate, you can't replace that experience of going to a live event. You can't. It's different. Um, and we don't want to. Nobody wants to do that. The, actually, the, ex the experience and the atmosphere at a live event is part of the experience that you're conveying um, over our platform. So it's a very important part of that. We want to be able to promote it. And this is a very important part of being able to do that. Well, great. Listen, I think we're out of time. But Mark, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Pro, for having us. Thank you. Uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks very thank much. Thank you very much. Thank you. So there we go. I really enjoyed that. And I want to thank the guys at Sports Pro for giving us the opportunity to record that and, and to, to bring zone Meets to Sports Pro Live in London a few weeks ago. We've got a bunch more great episodes lined up for the coming weeks for zone Meets. Looking forward to bringing those to you. But for the moment, have a great day and I'll speak to you all soon.